What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Salad. Uh, I am here with Cole this morning. It's actually a Tuesday morning uh, here in the United States, and it is a Tuesday evening in the UK. Uh, The reason we're recording on a Tuesday is because this is not a traditional episode. It's a special episode, and we have a very special guest. Uh, So as I said, I'm here with Cole. What's up, Cole? Good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Zach. Hope all's well in Phoenix. It is. And we also have with us Francesco Petruzzelli. I knew I was going to mess it up. I totally did it. Uh, Who uh, is the chief technology officer at a company based in the UK called Bidstack. Uh, And I'm going to let him talk a little bit about what he does in the company. But to simplify it and to totally oversimplify it, uh, they're a company that helps put advertisements into video games. So we're very excited to sit down with him this morning and sort of pick his brain and learn about his journey and what Bidstack stands for. And I mean that, Fran, when uh, when Cole and I first got approached to interview you, we were so excited because, mm-hmm. you know, we really think that there's such potential in the gaming space. Uh, and, and so we were so eager to hear your perspective on this. Obviously, you're, you know, doing it every day. You're living in it and working in it every day. And we can't wait to hear what you've got to share with us today. So... Without further ado, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your journey to Bidstack, and then also a little bit about what Bidstack is and what you guys do. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background about the uh, the journey. Um, you know, um, Bidstack's in gaming now, and um, it's not where it started. It's not the origins of the business. Um, we actually started in the real world of um, digital billboards, you know, in cities, um, mm-hmm. Think Times Square. Um, but as we were building that product and we started on that journey, um, we were approached by a gaming studio who had the virtual inventory, um, the equivalent of a virtual Times Square. And we very, very quickly saw an opportunity to effectively, you know, pivot the business into what we saw as a emerging and much larger potential market. And so we went about building a business that effectively allows brands um, to connect into video games, to buy inventory within that game. And most of the inventory that we deal with is stuff that fits and looks intrinsic as part of the gameplay. So if you're talking about Times Square, you're talking about the billboards, or you might be talking about the skins, you know, the outfit that a player is wearing. Um, you could be talking about um, the hoardings around a football stadium. Um, and we kind of built a platform that allows those agencies to purchase that inventory programmatically in, in real time. Uh, end to end and that's that's kind of the origin story of of Bidstack we just kind of started out uh, and pivoted into this gaming space and we saw this huge opportunity ahead of us and you know I think the gaming space is is forever growing mm-hmm. I think you know we, in the last couple of years we've seen huge growth our numbers especially during the lockdowns we've had in the UK and and um due to the to the pandemic we've seen like the rise of gameplay it's our numbers have increased like 300 400 percent in terms of um, daily active users and and time spent playing so it really is a channel that that people are looking to to kind of attack that's awesome cool. i think you were maybe the best decision of uh bidstack's career in switching <laughs> uh yeah, do you want to get a yeah, definitely. Do you want to get a little bit more into how the platform works? Maybe walk us through, you know, uh, a typical journey for a consumer or, or where you guys come in. We're just a little bit uh, interested in hearing kind of how that all fits together because it's pretty interesting based on what we were looking at on the website. 
Yeah, of course. So there's kind of three key pillars to the to the technology stack, and um, the first of it, the first piece is is the SDK, and, and that's what sits within the game. That's what controls the data flows back and forth, and, and renders in those creatives, uh, and allows it to fit into that dynamic and often beautiful environment. Um, the second piece um, is our ad server, and we have a platform that sits a dashboard that sits on the front of that, and that allows us to see. Um, analytics, reporting, what's going on. Um, and it also allows us to traffic these campaigns so we can ensure that it's hitting the correct demographics, um, the correct socioeconomic groups, whatever the targeting metrics we happen to have for that specific title, we can ensure they're being hit. And that's the middle layer, and I'd say one of the most important layers. And then the, the final layer, I guess, is it's the SSP. We have our own proprietary SSP, so all our technology is proprietary end-to-end. And the SSP connects into, you know, the, the DSP platforms like the trade desk and allows mm. um, the agency groups to purchase this inventory programmatically. So I kind of, the oh, kind of nice. end-to-end flow is that they would, we would find a, a game title that suits and we could traffic that campaign for whatever the brand happens to be, Coca-Cola, for example, all the way through our infrastructure into a title effectively seamlessly and pretty much in real time. That's awesome. Do you guys have like uh, specific types of games that you advertise in Um, or are there areas or types of games that, you know, just are better suited for putting these advertisements into or is it kind of wide open Uh, or is that changing still? I I think that's an evolving space. So I think, you know, when we first came to market, we very much had our eyes on the sports landscape. Mm -hmm. So we knew that racing titles and stadium-based titles were very easy wins for us because the billboard's already there. The audience is already very used to it. It's a natural fit. It's very easy to integrate and it's it's very easy to sell. Yep. But the market has evolved considerably since then. And so, you know, you're starting to see games like League of Legends, for example, adopting in-game advertising, um, games that perhaps you would have normally thought were a little bit off-limits, but I guess the next step for in-game advertising that I see, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, is not just the hoardings and the billboards, it's skins. And when we start talking mm-hmm. about skins, that pretty much opens up any title to us because what you're talking about is, an, is a relationship that the player is having with a brand or that's opt-in. So they're effectively choosing to interact with that brand. And so you could have a title like World of Tanks where a billboard would make no sense because it's selling World War II, but if a player wants to have a Red Bull skin or wants to have, you know, a Gucci skin, that's their choice and they're making that decision. And so it doesn't affect the gameplay and it can fit within the storyline of, of the dynamic of the game. And in fact, they have had in-game advertising. I think they, they ran one for Amazon recently. And um, we're seeing more and more titles opening up on the skins front, on the billboards front. It tends to have to make sense within the storyline of the game. We're not at a point where we're going to stick a billboard in Assassin's Creed, for example. Um, yeah. But... There it is growing on both sides, but I think skins opens up a whole different marketplace for us. Yeah, I think that kind of answers sort of the next question, which was the inverse of that one. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if there are certain brands that you look for working with, and it kind of sounds like if you are going the billboard route, you know, using those in-game instances to place advertisements that look realistic, there are some of those parameters, but for the skins in sort of that direction that you're describing, it seems much more wide open, but do you want to comment on a little bit of that? Maybe the difference between the two and how those sort of work together or uh, where you see that going? 
you're exactly right. Like we we try and maintain some authenticity. We're we're very much about protecting the game as much as possible and protecting the gaming experience. We're all gamers here, so we don't want to just stick you know like an advert in that's just like click here, completely doesn't feel look like it belongs in the environment. So we are careful with how the creators are, are put into the game and how they look and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you know it's open to a lot of brands. And when we talk about skins. Um, I can't really talk about some of the projects we have in, in the works, but it's a great opportunity for fashion brands, fast moving, moving consumer goods to engage with an audience at a different, in a different way than they've ever engaged with before, because the player is actually interacting and sharing and spreading that message. So if you imagine um, you are a brand like Gucci, for example, and you have a Gucci outfit within a game, that player is endorsing your brand but everyone who interacts with that player is also seeing him endorse that brand. So it, it, the mm-hmm. message spreads exponentially. And so for me, that's a super exciting way for brands to engage in an entirely new way that perhaps they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Really cool. And uh, one thing that kind of comes to my mind, especially when you're talking about more involved sort of campaigns, you know, getting skins and things like that. Um, how closely then are you working with the game developers to kind of, build in these opportunities do they do they come to you and say hey how do we kind of work this in or is it you making that approach and kind of figuring out okay so we have this idea how can we maybe work it into a new game uh something like that you know it's it's kind of a mix i mean mm-hmm. um sometimes the the studio is really forward thinking already has all the ideas and they're like we think you can do this you think you can do this can you can you connect that into the technology stack and we're like yeah that works mm-hmm. perfectly other times they undervalue some of their inventory. So, you know, we've had publishers where they've, we've gone, well, what about the skins? And they said, oh, well, the skins, uh, we only use them occasionally. And I'm like, that's an incredibly valuable tool for you to be able to monetize. And brands will engage with that tool and it's opt-in. So the players will only choose it if they want to interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often we will suggest um, placements that we think, we think work. But at the end of the day, we we let the games decide. We would never be like, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, we we mm-hmm. provide like a consultative service where we say, listen, guys, this would work. This would work. How about we look to build a bridge here or whatever it happens to be. And if they want to do it, they do it. And we tend to try and give them a monetary value to it. We say, listen, we expect a 20% uplift if you do this. And so we tie it into a, into a revenue uh, metric for them. So mm. they're enticed to make commercially sound decisions that don't affect the gameplay or the game. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. So, you know, I guess just kind of getting a little bit more into this nitty gritty then of really working with, you know, both the, you know, whether it be the agency, the developer or the brand themselves. Um, So let's say, you know, there's a new game coming out, um, you know, and you guys are looking to kind of get skins for it. Are you then working on both sides to kind of pull in, okay, these are some brands that we think would be interested based on this game, or does it really all start with the developers and then kind of going from there to find advertisers? It, it kind of starts with developers. So I'm going to, I'm going to describe like the process for like a triple A platform, a triple A title. Yeah. Um, we would effectively, if it's triple A and it's a major platform and mm-hmm. there wasn't COVID pandemic, yeah. I would ordinarily fly over there. We would have face-to-face meetings. We would go through, um, the design mock-ups of the game because usually we're talking about pre-launch mm-hmm. um, they would say these are the features we're bringing in this is where we'd want the advertising going I would say can you give me a breakdown of everything you're planning to do 
mm. and then we can go this is worth this much this is worth this much which we usually do mm. there's usually a commercial discussion around which areas they actually want to build on because as i'm I'm sure you're familiar or if you're not most games publishers are always chasing their tail they're always behind they're just trying to yeah. trying to catch up their deadlines and so it's very much about fitting in within their deadlines mm-hmm. um, and once that's agreed um, and we have the placements and we know roughly what they look like we have some artwork around them um, we probably start testing the water with some of the agency groups and be like do you have brands we think these brands within your portfolio would work. Do you have other brands that you'd suggest? Um, and we start to kind of warm up the market before the title is released. Um, and then once the title is released, we, we kind of sync it all up and, and make sure that the, the game is connected to the, to the brand. You no, know, sometimes there isn't synergy there. Sometimes if it's a AAA, they will go, we do not want that brand. Mm. We do not want this. But most of the time, we found brands that are complementary to the title in some way. Um, and sometimes it works the other way. Obviously, there's some brands that just that still don't want to be in shooter games. They don't want to be in, F, in, in first-person shooters. And so, gotcha. um, sometimes it's the other way. We will propose a game, and they will go, "No, that's not that's not what we're looking for." But mm-hmm. what I'm starting to see is the brands are opening up to more and more types of gaming. Um, mm-hmm. They're not just looking for sports and racing. They're looking for fantasy. They're looking for shooters. They're looking for uh, a variety of titles. Gotcha. Gotcha. Really interesting there. And I mean, kind of just a follow-up question, because you mentioned uh, there's like a programmatic capability to it in the sense that, you know, advertisers can kind of uh, buy in auction-based formats. Um, then how do you how do you then uh, predict kind of, you know, impressions, different things like that? Are you able to then guarantee that they're going to be getting a certain amount of you know, uh, viewership on those, or um, is that just all kind of estimated? And you know, and then it's like, oh well, maybe you know, there was a new FIFA title coming out, you know, in the next month. So you know, the old, you know, FIFA twenty twenty, you know, is getting less traction. It, or do those sorts of things come up really, or is it all just sort of automated into the system? So occasionally we do have a game that just doesn't it, it doesn't live up to its forecast. Mm-hmm. And so that does cause issues like the campaigns can and deliver. Um, most of the time, the forecasts are pretty accurate. You know, these studios put a lot of time into ensuring that they they plan and they're, and they're ready and they're expecting the numbers that they expect and they, they tend to go below what, so usually overperform. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there has been times where, where that has been an issue. And, you know, the, the market that, we, that we're constructing here, mm-hmm. it's very young. It's yeah. immature, I would say, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's growing day by day. And so... We haven't got to the place where we're as mature as like a, a rewarded video segment or um, yeah. really any of the other segments. We, we haven't even got a, an open marketplace yet. So most of the programmatic deal we deals we do are private marketplace deals. Um, yeah. And so we tend to know what we're selling in before we sell it in. That being said, as an industry and as a with our competitors, we're moving forward at a really fast pace. We're all kind of huddled together, working with the IAB to move um, this exciting sector forward as quickly as possible. Gotcha. Really cool. Thanks for answering that. I, I get, I'm, I'm the analyst here. So getting into the, <laughs> of the media there is definitely what uh, I'm interested in. So yeah, thanks for that. No it's funny because I'm the creative on the call and I'm about to take you in the other direction. <laughs> um, okay. You just, you started trying to, or you started getting into the process and starting with development and everything. Uh, as a creative, I'm curious about uh, what it looks like when you're working on the agency side, say uh, when you're working with a new partner, potentially that, you know, doesn't have experience building ads for games. Do you 
help them through that process? How does sort of that handoff work in, you know, developing the arts and uh, making the creative and making it in the right formats for the game and then getting it into the game? Uh, is that something you guys assist with or is that something that the developers mostly handle and, and kind of how does that uh, that handoff work between agency and bid stack and developers? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I would say there's a lot of handholding. We, we want to make sure that the agencies are really comfortable. They know what they're getting and, and the creatives are exactly as they hoped. Like a lot of the creatives that run in the game are standard industry sizes. They're IAB sizes. So they have mm-hmm. the creatives on hand. But that being said, we do work very closely with the agencies to make sure they're getting what they expect. And, you know, it can go further than that. that there's a campaign we were talking about not so long ago that we were working on. Um, where they wanted to a skin, but they wanted to bring in a very specific set of outfits and fashionable items that related to that skin. And so we can work with the publisher and with the agency to ensure that the technology can deliver the skin in exactly the way they want it to be delivered, but also um, both the agency from an aesthetics point of view is happy and the publisher is happy in terms of the way it's been delivered and that it interacts with the gamers correctly. And so we can kind of be that bridge to make sure that everyone's aligned and mm-hmm. the best possible product is being delivered in. So I would say at the moment there is a decent amount of handholding and we have an internal team that can help with the creatives um, and help make sure that they render correctly and that they look correct. And, you know, there isn't yeah. any stretching or whatever it happens to be because, you know, it is in game and things do change and we do make sure that it looks like it feels like it's part of the game. So that means we put the mud effects, we put the snow, the rain, you, we never put a, if we have a rally game, for example, a racing game, we would never put a clean white billboard in there that just doesn't look like it belongs there. We would always mm-hmm. add a bit of effecting on it, and we make sure that the agencies are well prepared for what's coming, and we tend to give them previews um, before we put that's the campaigns cool. live. That's really cool. Who? Yeah, I, that's kind of where I was thinking because, like, coming from my perspective, I'm like, if I was working with you, I I've never in my life built an ad for a game before you know so it's like it's really fascinating to see and 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 nice to know too that 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 partnership works very well and that you work with them on all of that stuff uh sort of a follow-up to that are you always working with agencies or do you sometimes work directly with the brands too i know i feel like particularly with skins uh where it's not necessarily as much of an ad and more of a visual skin uh there's potential to work directly with brands as well do you are you in that space at all? And does it just kind of depend on the game and situation or are you always going through agencies to work with brands? No, it, it really does vary from campaign to campaign. We have plenty of direct campaigns that come in and then we have a good amount of agencies. I'd say that the agencies in the last 18 months have started to build out gaming divisions and are really focused on it. And so we're getting a lot of um, interaction with them. But that being said, we do still get a decent amount of direct campaigns and we have a team that, that works directly with some, um, some brands. This next question you might've already answered uh, because I, I wasn't expecting the skins direction that you introduced us to the, at the beginning, but I did want to ask if there were any new, uh, you know, directions or types of concepts for video games, platforms for games as a whole, or new formats that you're excited for uh, moving forward. Obviously, like you said, it's a very immature market. Uh, so kind of what do you see, for the potential in the future, any new formats, new partners, new types of games, anything like that? You know, as I've touched on the skins piece, and I guess that for me is the the most exciting part. I guess one of the things that we're looking at, and this is, I'd say it's quite far down the pipe, is we're looking for 
ways to make those skins retain their value. And so we're looking at like the blockchain, we're looking at NFTs, we're looking at ways of making that um, that skin hold its value um, in the life cycle mm-hmm. of the title. And, and so we're kind of looking a bit further ahead and how to provide more valuable, more value to the, to the brand. Because the, the thing about skin is it's often a lifetime product. So it's not being sold on like a standard metric. It's not being sold on like a CPM. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's usually like a sponsorship fee. So it's usually like, here's the amount it's going to cost to go in. It's in and it's in for the lifetime of the game. And they'll continue to have to log into our dashboard to see how often it's being played, how many people are playing it, what geographies, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, we want to try and bundle all that data up into into a format that can be easily digested by the brands and the agencies. And so that's, I guess, is the forward thinking way of us looking at how we can develop that skins model, because it is a complex model, although it sounds simple, monetizing it correctly and ensuring that the return on investment is correct for the, for the brands and agencies is a little bit trickier. I mean, I can only imagine you just brought up the fact that it's a, a lifetime purchase, you know, and there's a lifetime value to it and getting that right. I feel like it's tough, you know, especially, I mean, we see it in regular consumer goods, like, if we're talking about fashion or anything like that, that's like somewhat resembling of skins, some things just way exceed expectations and others, you know, flop and figuring out a way to, to try and get ahead of that and and expect the hype and expect the type of return that you're looking for. I can't imagine is easy. I feel like that's gotta be very, very difficult. It, it, it really is. It's so tricky. And I guess yeah. another thing to throw into the mix is, and I think newspapers might've had this in, Back in the day, I think, you know, when newspapers did circulation numbers, they counted the the equivalent of the newspaper being passed on. So it wasn't just how many people bought the newspapers, it was also the chance that the newspaper would be passed on to the person. And we have a mm-hmm. similar dilemma here, which is we have a secondary viewing mar- market. We have Twitch, we have YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so how many times is that skin being seen on YouTube and on Twitch and on clips being shared <laughs> on Twitter or on Instagram or on TikTok, whatever it happens to be? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very hard to keep track of that of that value, and so we are working on softwares that do try and keep track of of the value across the entire ecosystem. But it's it's quite a complex and big piece for us to um, to work on. Mm-hmm. That that kind of makes me think of one question. You know, with uh, with platforms like Twitch really gaining a lot of traction, and kind of creators and influencers having kind of a big role in kind of setting trends and whatnot. Um, do you guys see yourselves working with? creators kind of to sort of sell in a brand or sell in a skin sort of in that sort of a way or is it really just kind of uh business to business in that sense no we 100 percent see that i mean in fact we've already done that so yeah. you know often we will have a, a title that perhaps doesn't have the pull the daus in a territory that we want to run a campaign in mm-hmm. um but we'll find an influencer in that in that territory um that has the pool and has the secondary audience and has those people following him who can interact with a visually beautiful title that the brand is very happy to be in. And we can ensure that the campaign reaches the correct amount of people because we've run it through an influencer network, for example. So it's very much something we have our eye on. We know that not all titles have amazing regional territories. And so having that, that network of influencers that can then promote it to their audiences within those countries helps us to um, monetize previously harder to monetize territories. Uh, within specific titles Mm -hmm. very cool very cool and uh kind of you know working a little bit more off of okay how you know how you're looking at you know different markets you know whether it be daus different parts of different regions even uh in different games so 
it, it sounds like you're able to gather then quite a bit of data then. Um, you know, I, I saw on uh, your website, you mentioned working with Nielsen, Comscore, um, you know, other big, uh, you know, data providers. And so just curious, what, what sort of insights are you really able to provide for brands as to how, how well the ads are performing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, we're, we're not a performance product, we're, we're a brand product. And so um, we've spent a lot of time and a lot of research in what can we provide back? What's the best data that these, that these brands need? And, mm-hmm. you know, on the targeting side, we've, we've kept it relatively pure. We try to go with as little PII as possible because we don't believe that that's the core of what the brands need. So obviously we can do location, age, um, but we can provide really cool targeting insights. So we can go target players who only play in like Ford cars or target players who have been losing over and over for the last hour. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if you're a Domino's pizza, you can target <laughs> players who have been on a losing streak between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. Um, <laughs> and they've been playing for more than three hours, for an example. Okay, that's <laughs> crazy. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> um, and so... On the on the kind of brand side, you know, viewability is 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 number one. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with Moat with Oracle to provide like IVT, so is it invalid traffic? We work with them to provide viewability metrics, mm-hmm. and that kind of forms the backbone of what the brands are looking for when they when they look. And we, and we also often provide um, data insights in the form of like um, we work with a company called Lumen that provided um, effectively what was the purchase intent, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, so that we could give them insights into how the campaigns especially in the early days you know when these brands aren't used to interacting with these formats we try to give them as much data to make informed decisions um Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's paid off you know i feel like there's less and less of that going on and they just look for that core viewability data now because it's becoming a more and more established medium i know we're still very much in the infancy of this of this market Mm -hmm. but i think the brands and agencies are starting to get it and so it's becoming less and less of a explanatory um sale and more and more of uh which game do you want exactly and i mean i I think that's really cool too then that you're using in-game metrics to sort of target um based on that because then again you're avoiding all of the gdpr all of the issues with pii and um you know just the headache of all of that but while still being able to get you know brands really unique audiences um i think that's that's really cool um, so have you had, uh, you know, again, it sounds like, you know, as you were saying, the the channels kind of being established, it's becoming more where brands kind of know what they're getting um, and what they're looking for in that sense. Um, so have you seen kind of, you know, are you ever challenged with, uh, okay, how does this compare to, you know, running just an out of home campaign or any other sort of traditional advertising uh, segment? Do you Do you kind of have a an effectiveness uh, graph there or uh, how do you kind yeah, of yeah we we've we've done that and you know it it's we've done the effectiveness graph and, and effectiveness i can't say effectiveness graph <laughs> yeah. yeah um and we've done it and Fair we've enough. compared it to the most popular formats and you know we've you know the, the ones that we don't try and compare ourselves to unless they're being done on a brand basis is we don't go up against like performance because it's not what we do mm-hmm. but we do talk about time on screen we talk about you know how we build an impression and I think one of the things that when I when I first started this business was I want to give the brands as much return as possible mm-hmm. and so you know let's say we have a race and we have 50 billboards in that race mm-hmm. we could sell each impression as a billboard um, but what we actually do is we count the whole race as one impression mm-hmm. so you're effectively getting 
53 seconds or I think the average is actually more like 30 seconds of on-screen time uh-huh. for the price of one impression in a CPM model. Um, and that backs out as a lot a lot of on-screen time comparative to any other format because we've built it that way. We've really built it to make sure the brands are getting it. And, and I, I don't think, and I'm not sure what our competitors are doing, but I think most of them count more than one impression per race. Mm-hmm. We've really gone with the giving the maximum return um, for the brands. And, you know, the industry might build a standard in the, in the future where it says a race has always got to be three impressions or four impressions or however they choose to calculate mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. for now, I think we're very much focused on giving the brands as much time and exposure as possible because mm-hmm. we want them to come back and spend more. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, it seems like in comparison to any other sort of, again, especially anything else that you could get on a programmatic sort of buy, that's really, uh, that's really valuable. Um, and I mean, again, too, it's like, you know, what, what constitutes an impression? Is it a race? Is it, you know, is that three impressions, you know, and then that's so much, you know, dependent on the game as well. Um, so there's so many variables there, but it's really cool to see this market really maturing in that way. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we had a race that I was looking at some stats the other day and we had some races that were lasting, what, 10, 15 minutes and the on-screen time was astronomical. Yeah. And that the CPM wasn't actually that high on on that specific campaign. Mm-hmm. And so the races were costing like absolutely nothing, but they were getting a huge amount of brand exposure. And on top of that, a lot of the people playing was streaming. And so they were getting that secondary exposure as well. And so I think, you know, as we educate these brands to the potential of the market and the, the potential returns, I think we've positioned ourselves in a really great place to show how we, we differentiated from the other things that can be bought programmatically, as you said yourself. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it's like a gold mine. It, it seems like waiting, <laughs> waiting, waiting to be discovered, honestly. So um, that's really cool. It does just the whole, I wasn't even thinking about the secondary markets thing until you brought it up. You know, that's just something I feel like you don't think of right away, but just the fact that, the one impression for the person playing the game can have such a broad impact if they're streaming and everything else is just, it is a gold mine. That's just awesome. And you kind of mentioned competitors. I personally have never heard of anything like what you guys do. So I just kind of wanted to ask straight up who, who do you view as your competitors right now? What, who are you competing against? Are there other companies that are doing stuff similar to what you're doing? Or is it uh, gaming companies uh, in particular who are, uh, you know, doing stuff like this like who do you view as your main competitors right now yeah i would say that when we first came to market when we first started building this out there was pretty much nobody so there was a first iteration of this that was done in the early 2006 2007 market and those companies either exited or folded and i think that was because it was too early really you know internet mm-hmm. penetration was low, online gaming barely existed, secondary viewing didn't exist, mobile gaming didn't exist. It was way too early. Graphics aren't even anywhere near what they are today. But in this iteration, I would say Gold Rush is a good uh, description of what's happened. And, you know, <laughs> we kind of came to market, and I would say within coming to market, within the space of a year, we had 10, 12 competitors that came out of nowhere. It really felt like everyone was heading for California looking for that gold. Oh, okay. um, uh-huh. It... In terms of like our biggest competitors, you know, um, we have pretty good relationships with some of them. There's companies like Adverti, um, yeah. there's companies like Admix, um, Frameplay. Um, so we definitely have a, a decent amount of competitors out there. I think we had that first mover advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those companies were like in the VR space or AR space or were mobile only, and we kind of came at it more holistically. Um, so and 
we had that advantage and we had the bigger workforce, you know, half of our staff is devs. We're very much a technology focused company. Um, And so we've really focused on innovating and driving industry forward. I think as an industry, we have to unite to get the IAB aligned and make sure that we, that we put this, push this category forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would, I would say gold rush is a good way of describing it. You know, there's a lot of companies out there and some of them are very small, but everyone saw that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and came looking for it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's it's interesting too, because I feel like it's like you're kind of splitting the two worlds between, you know, ad- advertising, ad sales, and then game development, you know, and it's like kind of what side of that do you fall more strongly on? But um, it sounds like you guys are a little bit more on the gaming side, which probably gives you that with the developer network that that probably gives you a good advantage at least there over a lot of the the more ad focused platforms i i would say we we form on the game side you know i think the key thing to remember in this is a lot of these games are making insane amounts of money already mm-hmm. and so this revenue stream although it's a great revenue additional revenue stream it's net new mm-hmm. it's not, their business doesn't depend on it yeah uh, and so we come in with as much respect as possible towards their artwork, towards their game. We see them as artists, effectively, mm-hmm. um, and they are. Um, mm-hmm. And like any great artist or film director, you come in, you respect what they're doing, and and you try and and fit it intrinsically into into their ecosystem um, without offending. And that and that's what we've looked to do. So I would say we're very much game focused, but we obviously want to bring the brands to them. But I would say we look after the the publishers as, as much as we possibly can. That was a perfect segue into the next question that we actually had for you um, about, you know, video game developers as artists. We saw on your website uh, that one of your predictions for the future was that gaming will be the eighth art form. Uh, And we thought that was a a bold but also very interesting claim. And we really wanted to hear what does that mean to you for the future of art and creativity and advertising and, and, you know, kind of knowing that that's the direction it's heading what what's your take on that what's that view and what does being the eighth art form really mean and how big is that going to get oh, i think that's probably come from our marketing team as opposed to from me but um <laughs> what i would say about the eighth art form i do have an opinion on it yeah so i, I mean i think it's was it ricciotto canuda that, that that said the seventh art form was cinema um don't quote me on that but i think it was um and i think if you look at the evolution of gaming and the interaction and the behavior of people towards it and the way that it's evolving and um the joy the sadness the emotion it brings out i think you'd be very hard pushed to say it doesn't elicit the same kind of emotional response um as cinema for example and i think you'd also be very hard pushed to say it doesn't require the same amount of artistry uh, mm-hmm. and work because the reality is in a modern game when you look at like a red dead redemption or those kind of major titles have been released they are cinematic masterpieces in their own right mm-hmm. um their storylines within storylines within storylines in beautifully rendered um worlds and it's evolving you know give it 15 years maybe even less we it's going to be as close to photo real as we, as we can get every, <laughs> every time I see a new release of the unreal engine, I'm like, wow, yeah. can the graphics get any better? And they do every time. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think, I don't think it's a huge leap to say that it, it's the, it's the, 
it's the birth of the eighth art form. I think that's a that's yeah. a um, that's very much um, where we're heading. And I think you know, as the seventh art form was was declared by an Italian, as a fellow Italian, I can declare that gaming is going to be the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah that's where i sit on it i I do very much think that it is it is a form of art and i think you'd be for hard push to say it isn't yeah um i got another question to ask you real quick a little bit ago we asked you about you know the effectiveness of in-game advertising versus traditional advertising uh and i kind of want to ask the inverse of that i feel like we're getting to a space where our virtual worlds and our real world are converging you know so much yeah. more than ever before uh-huh. uh, and i think fortnite for example is a, a big proponent of that with some of the concert series that they've done in game and and you know their push into skins and and sort of blending uh real world products like i think they had a, a release when they you know launched some nike shoes and like they yeah. were just exclusive virtual pairs that you couldn't get in the real world alongside some that you can get in the real world that they also release virtually. Uh, so there's clearly this meshing that's happening between those two worlds. Uh, and so again, the inverse to that question earlier, you know, what's the potential like for sort of, uh, you know, traditional advertising and in-game advertising and, and developing campaigns that work across almost like we do across platforms, but basically across the real world and the virtual world uh, what do you see in that sort of space and, 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 and where is that going? Um, you know, that's super interesting because we actually had a brand come to us. that. So this specific brand was a, one of the top fashion brands um, and they were having an issue with releasing limited edition products. Basically, they thought that they were the, the bots bought them before their customers bought them. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking at a way of releasing a product through a game um, so effectively, you would buy the virtual. You would get the virtual skin, so you would see the outfit, and then you would perform a series of tasks within that game. So whatever happens to be, you'd have to like jump through certain tasks and do whatever happens to be, and that then unlocked you a code, which gave you the ability to go in store and buy the real limited edition item that you're <laughs> wearing in the game. Um, and that was just a that was something that we were thinking about. And the reality is, we were trying to find the perfect title for it, um, but. I think brands are very much thinking about, as you mentioned, bringing the real world into the virtual. Um, and yeah, the, the Fortnite concert is a, is, is a great example. You know, um, I think, I think I just saw today that Ferrari has signed a partnership um, with Fortnite to have their cars in the, uh, in the game. And I think you are starting to see that, that real world mix. And that's basically what we do as a business. We're, yeah. we're literally about bringing those real world brands in whatever form they happen to be into the virtual world. And so, you know, um, whenever I see things like that happen, it, it makes me very happy. I mean, I'm always a little bit sad that it wasn't us who did it, but um, I think from an, from, from an industry perspective, um, it's fantastic to see that the brands are looking to, to engage in that way. Yeah. I just think, I mean, obviously we're at the very beginning of that. We've been touching on that throughout this entire conversation that, there's so much more potential for that. And I just remember when I saw some of those things um, and I don't even play Fortnite, you know, I, I played it a couple of times, but just seeing through news outlets and stuff, just the melding of traditional items and traditional advertising and the skins that they're working with in the virtual space was just crazy stuff that I was never thinking was possible. And, and same with the the concert series that they've been doing. And 
I think we're just at the very beginning of that and I'm just really excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I, th- I think the way that we digest media is changing and evolving all the time. And I think, you know, um, the way that my generation digest media compared to the people who are five, ten years younger is just completely different, you know. I'm very much about playing video games whilst they're very much about watching video games more so and, it, and it's evolving all the time and they're interacting in different ways. And I think the the core root is games unite people. They bring friendship groups together. They're a way of, especially during the pandemic, they've been a way of people keeping in touch. And I think, you know, it would be crazy to say it's not an incredibly important form of media and media consumption now. And I don't think anyone can really get away with saying it. I think we've moved away from the mantra of it's a 14-year-old boy in his mom's basement. I think I think now, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, I think the, the agencies, the brands get it now. Like, it's very rare that I come across someone who's like, well, I would want to target that audience because that's not the yeah. audience you're targeting. It's a huge, broad demographic, almost 50-50 on gender, you know. Um, and so... Um, I think it's a really exciting, evolving marketplace. And I think people are, are starting to turn their heads to it and are aware of what's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I don't know, Zach, I, I, I think that's pretty much all of my questions, unless you had anything else you kind of wanted to add there. Yeah, I don't have any other questions in particular. Uh, we do like to give you the opportunity at the end mm-hmm. uh, to just open it up. If there's anything you want to talk about, anything you feel like we missed that we should know about Bidstack or about the industry, uh, go for it. Just share any wisdom that you'd like. Uh, and that's kind of how we like to end all of these interviews. So we, we make sure you're getting anything out there that you want the audience to hear and, and uh, anything that you'd like to share about, you know, where this is headed. God, I should be a little bit better prepared for that for the uh, for the ending to have to have something to uh, something that wows no <laughs> yeah exactly oh, um, just a load of like stats to fire off um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I guess the, the the closing gambit is that you know as we touched on the industry is very immature right now but the speed that we see it growing at between us and our competitors it will end up being a multi-million dollar industry and hopefully a billion dollar industry. You know, um, I think if you look at the way the rewarded video has exploded and, and the industry it's become, and you look at the breadth of titles um, and the size of player bases, I think that this industry could, could be a billion dollar industry. I mean, I can only imagine the size of the deals that Fortnite's doing to get um Ferrari and their Star Wars, yeah. etc. There will be enormous deals, and I think other games will start to follow suit. And hopefully, they'll do it with us. Um, and I think the industry is in a really exciting place to to explode and, and push on. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first. Yeah, a billion in- dollar industry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, in ten years, we'll probably all be designing ads for video games. For video games. I bet. Yeah, God, I hope I hope that doesn't come back to haunt me now. Exactly. <laughs> no. It all started here. No. Oh yeah, that's you so said a billion dollars, and it's not even half of that. <laughs> oh man. Well, Fran, thank you so much. Uh, you. This was very insightful. Uh, we said it at the beginning. I'm going to reiterate it again. Uh, we think what you guys are doing is just awesome. Uh, we just touched on the potential and, and we completely agree with you. And that's why we're so excited to sit down and talk with you. And so thank you so much for sharing what you guys do and 
sharing your perspective on the industry. Um, we're, we're really excited about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Zach, Cole, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure mm-hmm. and uh, I look forward to hearing this later on. All right, take us out, Cole. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you again, uh, Fran, and hope everyone has an adtastic week. Thank <laughs> you.